Welcome to Rethink Reality, a podcast for creatives to learn, adapt, and future-proof themselves for the XR revolution. Tech guru Don Allen III has conversations with innovative players in the AR, VR, and XR space. Develop your knowledge with expert advice and get ready to rethink reality. My guest today is Martin Herdina, the CEO at Wikitude. This episode is all about enterprise-level augmented reality. And Martin was kind enough to go into the details of Wikitude's journey to take AR to new levels of both performance and capabilities. We're going to be discussing key factors of what makes AR valuable for enterprises and will demystify a lot of the language that is used in our spaces. This episode is short and sweet, but packed full of gems. So it's very useful for people that are serious about large-scale businesses that use augmented reality and virtual reality mediums. Okay, some housekeeping updates. Episode 8 will conclude Season 1 of my podcast, Rethink Reality. I have been producing this podcast all on my own because I love the space of XR. And if you want to support me, look into my crypto art. Okay, that being said, I had a little microphone problem on my end with this last episode. But my guest's audio, Martin, sounds perfectly fine. So just bear with me and enjoy the episode. And welcome to Rethink Reality. Welcome to Rethink Reality. Uh, my guest today is Martin Hodina. Uh, Martin is a successful technology entrepreneur and augmented reality leader since 2008. And prior to joining Wikitude, Martin had successfully built up and sold FatFugu, a leading provider of payment systems for online games. And previously, Martin held strategic management positions in Europe and the U.S. In, in, in the U.S. with QPass Inc. and UCP, and even T-Mobile. So, Martin, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? How are you doing? Thanks a lot, Don. Uh, glad to be here. Yeah, I'm doing very well, and looking forward to a very exciting uh, question as a session. I know we're going to be covering a lot of cool topics in the augmented reality space, XR space, and before we get too deep into it, I wonder. I was wondering if I could ask you a couple of terms. Uh, definitions to terms that I think we're going to be using a lot. Sure, happy to. What is computer vision and how would you define it? So computer vision, that's a very important uh, component of augmented reality. It's not the only one, but it's like important. It's kind of making the computer or like better making the camera see and understand and interpret things around you. Amazing. That's pretty straightforward. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, another term I think we're going to be covering a lot might be the term spatial computing. I was wondering how you, how would you define spatial computing? I think spatial computing, that's like a term uh, primarily uh, that came up through Microsoft uh, two or three years back when they launched uh, HoloLens. And we, when they introduced the term spatial computing, which I think it's a, it's a very fitting term. I think it's a very exciting term. Think about like traditional computing is like things are being calculated and displayed and uh, on your computer, on your smartphone, and on your tablet. Spatial computing uh, kind of puts this computation power around you. So think about you're wearing like a HoloLens, you're wearing a Lenovo AR glass. So this means you can then uh, place different virtual monitors around you, so in the space around you. So uh, you can interact with the space around you. So coming back to like the computer vision term, mm -hmm. computer vision helps you or helps the system uh, read and understand the space around you. Okay. And augmented reality kind of allows you to interact with the space around you, with the elements placed there. And uh, yeah, that's spatial computing all about. 
So what I'm hearing from you is that computer vision is like teaching a computer like how to understand the world and the space around you. And you're saying spatial computing is like is is taking the things that we're used to seeing on screens, you said phones, tablets, and instead of having those constrained to a screen, those things are now holograms that live like around you, right? Yeah, correct, exactly. Another term I was going to ask is, what does location-based augmented reality mean? Because I know some people hear these words and they're like, what is this stuff that they're talking about? Location-based AR could be an alternative to computer vision, actually. So it's meaning uh, combining augmented reality with location. So typically with uh, coordinates, latitude, longitude, and placing augmented reality content onto such location. That's what typically being called geo-AR or location-based augmented reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays, you can combine that kind of uh, coordinates with computer vision to get like higher accuracy, to get a higher quality. But um, actually, when Wikidata started 2008, we started with location-based uh, augmented reality, really placing landmarks uh, on top of like geolocations. This uh, could be like landmarks. This could be like mountain peaks. This could be kind of... Uh, social media content, uh, again, placing augmented reality content on top of certain uh, locations or coordinates. The fact that you can combine, you know, the locations of real life objects and then use that as a marker for your virtual objects. And, you know, see, I want to know a lot about Wikitude. Um, I'm, I've kind of gone through your site and I've researched some things. So what I know so far is Wikitude is an augmented reality pioneer and leader in the sector of computer vision and spatial computing with AR technologies, um, especially optimized for smartphones, tablets, and smart glasses. And from what I've read, it says you're powering over 1 billion app installations and that you're trusted by developers in uh, over 180 countries. It's a go-to AR technology to enhance images, objects, rooms, and spaces. This is so much stuff. So what is your role at Wikitude and what is Wikitude to you? My role, I'm the CEO at Wikitude, so I'm not the founder. So to be, so the company was founded in 2008 and I joined in 2010. And uh, our founder had the idea of kind of launching an augmented reality browser, like an end customer facing application that's like the entry point that opens, that's the door into the world of augmented reality. This was his, uh, his vision. We did execute on that vision for about two more years until 2012, uh, really focusing a lot on, on getting installs and on getting reach, on linking that to content as a kind of AR browser for everybody to explore the world around you, to find the suitable uh, digital content for the real world around you. And back in the days with a focus on geo-AR, as mentioned previously, and with a focus on uh, travel and tourism. And back in the days, we had about like 25 million installs, had like preload agreements with BlackBerry, with T-Mobile, with LG. This was okay, I'd say, right? And 25 million installs, that's quite a lot. But still for us, on one hand, it was hard to monetize. It's a browser, right? So mm-hmm. who pays for a browser? That was one, one uh, economical aspect. On the other hand, uh, we felt as a company, as a team, we are much better suited in developing technology than uh, launching and marketing an end customer app. And last but not least, we saw that AR is so broad. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so many use cases in so many different verticals, in so many different uh, use cases, 
that it's uh, it would be a bummer to kind of focus on one single one, uh, right. one single segment, one single vertical as an end customer app, but rather kind of make one step back and kind of start developing tools that enable AR across multiple vertical segments, industries, enterprises. And uh, since doing that, things go well for us. And if you were referring to the 1 billion installs, so how did that happen? How do you get a billion app installs on your technology? Well, it's pretty much like um, based on the strategy we have chosen. Like we have really focused on building a very scalable platform. So uh, we do empower tens of thousands of different applications in different verticals with the same, with a very similar core of technologies. And that allows us to really empower huge brands like the Ellen DeGeneres show, like Washington Post, like Times Magazine, like many European brands like Nissan, uh, like uh, Target Market, stuff like that. So uh, lots of uh, high, high value, high scale end customer uh, applications. In total, they make up quite a bit of, uh, of usage and insults. But um, to be totally candid here, mm-hmm. uh, it's just like the two of us here. Oh, um, sure. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, no, just kidding. Uh, we do have <laughs> like, the like a number of audience here. <laughs> <laughs> so we do have like a number of uh, uh, apps or customers in China as well. Like uh, we have one customer that's like a camera add-on for Android in China. And of course, like, there are many, many people using technology there. And this uh, uh, is like, I would say like half of our downloads are coming from China and India. Oh, wow. So, so I mean, what I'm hearing you say, like two big points in there was like, first you focused, like Wikitude first focused on building a highly scalable platform. And you went from, you know, being a web, a web browser of augmented reality to maybe the underlying technology that supports augmented reality experiences across different, you know, brands, businesses, verticals. So it seems like that's kind of like the strategy. If you want to have, you know, a billion app installations, you basically go and make it a scalable platform that's friendly for people to use and you make it an international tool that that can go all over the world. Exactly. I love hearing these kind of details because it's, it's inspiring to hear like, you know, different minds looking into augmented reality and reality how it can expand and grow. You know, Wikitude is a successful technology, I guess, company. Uh, and I wanted to ask you as the CEO, how do you define engagement? Like, how do you know, um, like, yeah, how do you define engagement? So I think that's a very good question, specifically for a kind of uh, pretty new technology like AR. So even though we are around for such a long time, for more than a decade, it's still a brand new technology and it still hasn't reached the mass market yet. And therefore engagement is like a huge term for us. So mm-hmm. we have seen so many applications, use cases, customers come and go. And the reason uh, why many of those have not been successful is just like the lack of engagement. So they have been focusing on the technology rather than the use case. They have uh, been focusing on some kind of gimmicky, uh, eye-catching applications rather than creating some kind of longer-term value proposition. And that's why engagement is so important for me. Some people like measure engagement in, you know, uh, interactions, impressions. Uh, Some people measure engagement with how many people spent a certain amount of time there or how many people spent time there and clicked on a certain thing. So like, I know you have lots of different use cases for augmented reality. 
but do you define engagement as like watch time or do you define it as something that's like um you know just you know reuse or do people come back to the experience i'm just curious how we can start defining what engagement in ar is for us it's typically reuse because um typically there are not uh, many applications that are really there where the sessions are very long so it's not like there are a few kind of gaming experiences we have a few very exciting toy experiences where um, sessions are typically significant but uh, normally ar sessions are relatively short like an enterprise some kind of remote maintenance so ideally if the problem is solved within five minutes session is closed also for kind of uh, mini games or for brand engagements when you engage like with a package with like uh, uh, a Jack Daniels bottle, typically it's like a two, three minute session. So therefore it's less like the airtime, but it's more uh, the number uh, of users and specifically uh, the reuse aspect. So how many times do users come back to the applications, use that application again? And that's really important for us because that's kind of the key factor from a one-time gimmicky uh, eye-catching application over something that's therefore that's here to stay, that's longer term, and that kind of really creates some value over time and not only as a one-off uh, campaign. That's, wow, that's super helpful to hear. So it's basically like if you can have an augmented reality experience that is gonna have people reuse it over and over again, the ones that are being reused more are the ones that are, you know, that's considered like really positive engagement versus if someone you know, tries your augmented reality experience and says, cool, and then they close the app, never open it up again, that would be really bad engagement, right? Correct, exactly. That's exactly what we have been facing in the past 10 years. I think that's also a kind of uh, characteristics of a new technology, that uh, a hype technology, that there is a hype cycle behind it. Uh, and when technology is being hyped, it's being used once, but not like uh, on a sustainable manner. And but we have kind of uh, went through the whole hype cycle and now we are finally at a stage where um, engagement numbers are really significant and it's something that's really exciting and for us and makes us proud. Wow, that's super exciting. Like to see, you know, where it's been and, and kind of focusing on that technology development and then to finally see the outcomes and see that engagement start to increase must be like a really good feeling as a, you know, as a CEO of a really awesome company. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So, um, so I, I spent some time researching some of your success stories that are really nicely listed on the site, and I just find it pretty incredible how many top brands that you've worked with. And I don't think we have time to go into all of them because there's so many. But um, I wanted to ask you some questions about some of the brands that I did recognize. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. You worked with Walmart, and uh, my question for you is, how was your technology used to transform Walmart? into Marvel's Black Panther Wakanda. So one thing to state uh, before I go into details. Uh -huh. So we could use a technology company, so we provide technology and tools, but we are not at all creative. So that's why we have like a, a vast network of really professional companies and agencies uh, who do work uh, with clients who are the creative people and who make best use of our tech. And uh, I think the Walmart and Marvel example, that's a fantastic one. It's beautifully done, but one of our partners in the, in the US. Um, on a technology level, they were using two key technologies. One, what's being called markerless tracking. So this means, uh, again, 
The compute division technology is there to understand, interpret um, the space around you. And um, that's where Walmart and Marvel has placed like some virtual world where like uh, uh, the Black Panther uh, and, uh, and Wakanda came out. Now, what is the difference between, you know, trackers versus a markerless um, tracking system? So marker-based tracking, and there are then typically 2D markers or 3D markers. So 2D marker is typically an image. So this could be like a magazine page. This could be like a flyer or a billboard or like uh, even like a mural on the museum. So this is typically like a fixed element or a 3D marker. It could be like a statue, could be like a package, could be a toy. And again, we would then recognize this marker, this object, this image, mm-hmm. and augment this particular element. When you think about markerless, it's independent from any marker. So this means uh, the smartphone or the algorithm has to understand and inter- interpret the room around you. Right. Ideally, like if you have things like the new iPad Pro, you have things like a depth sensor in there or the LiDAR sensor. So this means you can really um, uh, calculate depth perfectly. You can work with kind of uh, occlusion models to make it look very realistic. And but again, a modern AR engine uh, like ours mm-hmm. is combining these technologies. So this means when you kind of enter a, a Walmart with that uh, particular application, for instance, yeah. there are multiple technologies being used. So this means on one end is markerless to uh, display a beautiful set setting. At the same time, you can like switch cameras with a front-facing fa- front-facing camera. You can uh, place the Wakanda mask on top of your face. Um, using some kind of image and face tracking technologies. And um, yeah, so we typically combine technologies. Amazing. Um, and what we prefer if people don't talk about tech, but talk about the use case and uh, technology is just in the background. That's our, our preferred way of talking about tech. <laughs> That's so cool because like, you, you know, all this technology and combining these like, sciences are making like actual fantasies come true. You know, people have seen the movie Black Panther and they imagine what it would be like to be at you know, Wakanda. And, and it's so cool that you can actually bring an experience like that into AR only because of all these like machine learning breakthroughs and algorithms. Um, I know some folks might not know the word occlusion. I knew that was like a, a new word for me when I was first getting into the augmented reality space. Um, would you like to describe what is occlusion? Uh, occlusion actually makes AR very realistic. So this means, uh, think about you like uh, in a Walmart, there is like a shelf and like uh, Black Panther comes out behind the shelf, right? So this means mm-hmm. um, the shelf kind of occludes uh, the virtual content and therefore makes it look very realistic. Thank you so much. Yeah, because I know that, that one was, at least for me, it was confusing to get like, you know, and but it's so true, like if you put a, you know, a, an augmented reality object on a table in front of you and you're looking at it through a camera and then you put your hand really close to the camera, it's, you know, if it was like, a, if the object was really there on the table, we would not be able to see it if the hand was covering the camera. But, exactly. But if you don't have occlusion technology, then when you put your hand in front of the camera, it breaks the illusion and that CG object, that augmented reality object is now in front of your hand, even though it didn't move and then like, you know, breaks the illusion. Exactly. So when you talk about like uh, our use cases, 
So it's interesting because in like in many enterprise use cases, this kind of uh, realism, this kind of illusion that you mentioned is not that important, right? For instance, oh. when you display sensor data in a uh, manufacturing scenario, then the uh, graphics, the illusion is not really important. It's just like uh, you have to display the content. When you think about like campaigning, when you think about gaming, yeah. thinking about many toys, uh, then that's exactly a key aspect uh, to make it look cool, to make it look exciting, to have things like uh, occlusion technologies, to really create that kind of what we like to call the perfect illusion so that the human eye at some point uh, will no longer be able to distinguish between what's a real object and what's a virtual object. Yes, and that's actually a really interesting detail you mentioned about how certain solutions don't need all the fancy like tools. Like, you know, I think of occlusion as a really nice tool to have, but if the goal for this, you know, for the particular client doesn't involve the need of occlusion, you can like break reality. You don't have to follow the rules of reality just because um, things would normally be occluded. Um, that's a great, that was a really cool example. You know, another project I saw that you featured as like one of your brand success stories was um, for the Nissan Leaf. Um, you made a really cool augmented reality experience for the Nissan, or sorry, they used your technology to make a really cool experience for the Nissan Leaf. And uh, I was wondering why, um, well, maybe they don't know this one, but I was going to say, why was this an excellent solution for their challenge or like what was the challenge that they faced, you know, building a immersive experience for a, you know, a car company? Well, uh, augmented reality, one of its key benefits is that it can visualize things the human eye can't see, right? And uh, then you see leave that an electric car. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and therefore, as a sales argument, it's really important to visualize for the consumer, for the customer, how electricity flows in the car. And Nissan is using that as a sales tool. So like whenever you enter your car dealer, uh, you will be offered a tablet. You can really look through the tablet and really uh, walk around the car and really see uh, all the technology that's under the hood. So where's the engine? How is the energy flowing? Um, what are all the other components that you cannot see from outside? Mm -hmm. And that's where AR is a beautiful technology, really visualizing things the human eye can't see. That's really cool because that's a good point. Like. The, maybe the real value of an electric car to a consumer might be, how does it even work? But if you can't see it in your mind, maybe you're like, actually, we don't really want to purchase this you know, vehicle because I don't really, I don't understand how this can you know, be a better option for me and my family. So like, that's a really cool technique you said of kind of using the ability to display things that we can't normally see and perceive, to be able to display that. And then there's like real value in there for the customer. Exactly. That's, that's what I would like to emphasize on. So there's really value for the customer. And that's, what, that's when uh, we have done our job well, that uh, we could create that value for the customer. One of the hardest things I've had to you know, work with when I'm designing augmented reality experiences for bigger brands is trying to explain to them like the value. And it's not always clear to them because we're so new into this space. Um, and so it just kind of fills me up with joy to hear you, you know, hear examples like, oh, well, this is going to help with the customer's experience. It's like a better, you know, purchasing experience and are, you know, to another, you know, adding a whole nother sense, really. 
All right. So um, another question I wanted to ask you was that which parts of Wicketude augmented reality technology was utilized for the Freedom Hall in Buffalo, New York? So from a tech standpoint, it was pretty straightforward. It was uh, using our 2D image tracking. So this means there were like uh, like pictures of like uh, politicians, of activists um, uh, being augmented through AR with a video. So technology-wise, nothing really fancy, but uh, that's exactly one of those things that uh, makes us proud, right? So when we put our technology out, don't really know who is using that, how they are being used. And then uh, when you see like the results and see how things have been done in a beautiful way, how they really make a difference, how we really can uh, leave a footprint with our technology, that's exactly when uh, you're really proud here at Wikipedia. When I saw that one, something that stood out to me was you were giving voices to civil rights leaders through augmented reality. And seeing that was like very exciting to me. It's like, wow, we can actually have this really cool futuristic technology, but it could be empowering us, you know, if we decide to use it that way. Exactly, yeah. I really like the use case a lot. Is there any other AR success stories that you would like to share? Um, well, as, uh, as you mentioned, we have like... Uh, Many, many thousands. So for some of those, we, we uh, don't even know how they, they are being used. Uh, for, for many of them, uh, we know, and it's something that makes us proud. So one thing perhaps worth mentioning is now our project with uh, Lenovo, with the Think Reality Group. So it's like the, that kind of extends the IBM ThinkPad proposition into augmented reality. So Lenovo is really investing a lot into spatial computing, into mm -hmm. wearable AR. They have announced uh, a device called the Lenovo A6, which is a uh, computer sitting uh, on your nose. It's a wearable device, fully see-through, at an affordable price, and uh, but focusing fully on the enterprise. So Lenovo is really uh, leveraging their network, their competency, their experience, the skill set they have built up in uh, uh, building and distribu distributing the uh, ThinkPad laptops mm -hmm. onto augmented reality. And uh, yeah, it's a very, very uh, talented group uh, based in the US actually. And yeah, we're working together very closely, really bringing advanced augmented reality uh, features, technologies to the enterprise. So us being like um, leading when it comes to like variable software, you know, being leading when it comes to like uh, hardware uh, for augmented reality. And the combination is like very, very powerful and exciting for us. That's pretty cool. And, and to be honest, I don't know too many smart glasses companies. So, and to be honest, I actually didn't even know too much about Lenovo's Think Reality smart glasses. So you're saying it's, um, is it like, does it look like glasses or is it like a, is it more like a VR headset kind of structure? No, it's a full see-through device. So like when you think about smart glasses out there, of course, they standard in a way is HoloLens, mm -hmm. which is like a fantastic device sitting on top of your head and having like tons of like sensors and computation power on your head. But of course, that's also the drawback. It's like very expensive and uh, there is just like a lot of technology on your head. Uh, Lenovo chose a different approach, more like a fewer device. So it's like uh, a device that's lightweight, that oh, uh, sits okay. on your head. And like the computation is either like on your smartphone or in a kind of back pocket with a kind of uh, uh, more or less external uh, computation device. 
that connects to your uh, viewer via USB-C. Oh, and again, it's focusing on the enterprise. It's lightweight. You can really easily exchange battery. It has a pretty long battery lifetime already. And um, therefore, it's definitely one of those new generations of uh, AR devices that are powerful, but still scalable. That's that's pretty impressive. I should look this up <laughs> in more detail. Um, right. so, so it sounds like you're able to plug the... So the brains of the glasses aren't physically on the glasses. There's something that you would wear like on like in your pocket or on your belt or something exactly exactly so they have like sensors like on your on your head they have a camera on your head and of course they have the whole see-through display on your head but like all the computation power is like in your, on your belt or in your back pocket so therefore things don't get as hot on your on your head as like with many uh older generation smart glasses right and of course uh things are a lot more scalable if you can just like uh like uh plug in and plug out the battery, uh, or if things are kind of distributed compared to like a device where everything is done uh, on your head. Gosh, I would, I might need to look into this. That sounds pretty cool. I mean, I love doing a lot of like creative tools and stuff, and I, I would be interested in if I was able to design things in it. Like if you could do, you know, 3D modeling or painting or sculpture design work in there. I bet that's coming if it doesn't already exist, hopefully. Yeah, definitely one of the key uh, drivers in the space is Qualcomm. So they have invested a lot in the space. So uh, you might have heard of like um, Qualcomm is now empowering uh, Facebook's latest Quest device. So as a kind of, um, they have uh, put out like a reference design for VR, uh, like with all the chips and the kind of hardware as a kind of perfectly designed reference design. Um, a reference device, they have done the same thing for uh, AR, and that's exactly using the same principles, having mostly like a fewer device on your head and having like the uh, computation power in your back uh, or in your back pocket. Whereas like Qualcomm is typically focusing on really using off-the-shelf smartphones with the XR2 chip in there, and that's really then the ultimate kind of uh, scalable solution where you can just like uh, on a case-by-case -case basis uh, pull out the viewer, connect it to your smartphone, and then you go and can using use very advanced AR features and use cases. Yes, I'm so happy to hear that. In fact, um, I have an Oculus Quest 2. I've been 3D modeling it. So uh, for those that are listening to the podcast, uh, I can verify that the XR2 chip is pretty sweet. <laughs> it works really well. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. It hasn't crashed on me or anything, and I and I try to put it pretty. I probably, I try to throw it through some pretty demanding um, processes. Um, I'm very impressed with it. I saw their they had an ad on their YouTube channel. Uh, Qualcomm's YouTube channel had an ad of how the XR chip two uh, could be used in the future, and it looked so futuristic. Yet a lot of that technology exists right now. It's not actually sci-fi. It's like that's that's real <laughs> today exactly it's there and, and like the beautiful thing is like it comes from somewhere like qualcomm and again they are uh, also fully focusing on scalable things so this means uh so many oems can really kind of take the design tailor that customize it for their specific needs and use case and uh save themselves a lot of r d and development costs and really uh be able to uh break through the market much much faster and quicker so that's why I'm a big fan of like Qualcomm's investment in this space. 
Wow. You use a term in there I'm actually not familiar with. You said OEM? OEM is like a device manufacturer, like uh, a Samsung of this world, or like an Apple, or like uh, somebody oh. uh, developing uh, hardware. Got it. Okay. So I think that was a new term for me. That's helpful. Um, so OEMs is like a, a hardware manufacturer, like you know Microsoft or Apple, you know, making their chips. So it it's, uh, initially stands for original equipment manufacturer. Oh wow, that's really cool. I like learning new things, so that that's helpful to hear. And I think the audience here, uh, if you're interested in the space, maybe looking at who to invest in, maybe look at some of those. Uh, you said what's the, what's the one more time? Sorry. <laughs> well, as mentioned, there are like. Uh, like uh, there's a Chinese company with like lots of funding called Enreal. You should check them out. Oh, uh, really cool company. Yeah. And they are using Qualcomm's XR reference design. They are like perfectly uh, using what Qualcomm provides them and kind of uh, put them in a very sleek uh, form factor. And it's a super nice device, right? And there are like uh, dozens of others currently in the pipeline just using that particular reference design. And that's why. Uh, it's fantastic that somebody like Qualcomm is really investing in the space so proactively mm-hmm. and really uh, helping also AR hardware to break through, not only AR software. Wow, thank you for that. I'm going to have to reach out to them and say, this was sponsored by... <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> um, no, there's no sponsorships on this, on this episode, so um, this is just out of, kind of our passions of looking into the technology here. All right, so if the audience here listening wanted to pitch augmented reality for their next project, um, how do you explain the added value to their customers? Like, how do they, how can we get them to be like, yes, let's do this? Well, I think the most important thing is to kind of uh, take a step ahead of technology and really kind of uh, determine and pitch uh, the value it creates for that particular use case. So, on one hand, explaining the added value, how does AR for that particular use case really make a difference thinking more in terms of like commercial terms so what is the return of investment and because that's something we have seen a lot in the past 10 years where we didn't really see the, see the, uh, the roi and those are like uh, projects that rely for like three months six months and then kind of disappeared because like uh, it's simply not worth uh, maintaining and keep updating the content for a project that doesn't really create value and right. um, and return its investment. So like what kind of metrics metrics are considered return on investment? Is that like dollars earned after experiencing said AR experience? I think it is typically depends on the use cases. There are like so many cases and verticals where AR is being used. Uh, in enterprise, I think it's very clear, uh, it's a saving of cost. So think about the remote maintenance uh, use case. Normally, so we have a customer, like oil and, a large oil and gas company, where uh, typically they have to jump on a helicopter and fly out to an oil rig. And that's, of course, hugely expensive. And that expert takes a long time to get out there. So if you can really solve at least half of those problems just through augmented reality, through some uh, remote maintenance use case, it's like very obvious uh, the cost being saved through AR. Wow. (laughs) And again, when you think about like end customer experiences, it's different. So then, of course, uh, it's either like a toy, so we're like many toy customers, where it's about uh, really increasing engagement with the toy. So ideally, even earning more dollars because you might have some kind of 
digital content that you want to sell in a free-to-play environment. Um, when it's like a campaign, it's about kind of engaging with the customer, building a better brand, or ideally for a sales promotion, selling more Nissan Leafs, for instance, right? So, so there are there are a large variety of metrics where uh, AR can create a huge value, and therefore where the return of investment is very obvious. One important aspect is right is talking about facts. So there are so many studies out there. So AR is still very abstract. So many brands and, uh, and clients don't really know if it's really relevant, how many devices can use that, if it's bound to any kind of geographies or regions or again, kind of operating systems. So therefore it's really important to come up with very clear facts. So yes, it can be supported by 90X percent of all devices. And uh, um, amazing. And yeah. how many users are already familiar with AR and stuff like that. So, so that's, I think, very, very important for pitching your story. The different tech companies and social media apps, when they share their numbers publicly about how much engagement they're getting in AR space, is that kind of stuff that you would want to bring to uh, a new client who's interested in AR? Would you say, look at these numbers of engagement across this demographic, uh, this region? Is that kind of like, would that count or would you find data other places? No, that's exactly what you say. So on one hand, you have to inspire the customer. So you really have to kind of um, show the client what's been possible. And that's why it's so important for us to really put showcases on the website to inspire our developers, to inspire the agencies, see them what has been done well, what uh, campaigns, what initiatives have been launched using AR and, uh, and therefore uh, get the brains going and get our kind of creative agencies inspired pitch something similar or going beyond that even uh, to their clients. And aside from the, creati the creative part, it's really important to pitch those metrics you just mentioned and really kind of uh, convince the brand that um, there is a good chance that this AR experience will make a difference and will create engagement for my brand or my product. Yay, this is really cool to hear. Like I'm hearing like a lot of like, like uh, uh, what's it called? The uh, re reaffirmation of like, yes, I've been trying to like <laughs> convince brands myself with data, like those metrics. So it's, it feels really assure, uh, reassuring to hear like, yes, show them the data, <laughs> let them know the engagement that can happen with these kind of technologies here. Exactly. And I think last but not least, and I think I mentioned that uh, when I talked about inspire inspiration, so you have to inspire people. AR is a visual technology. So show them a demo, uh, inspire them. Uh, get them excited and uh, that's typically very very important to close this whole thing thank you so much for those value adds for you know pitching augmented reality content that's going to definitely help people that are listening to this to think a little differently like okay i can get into this ar space i just need to you know focus on you know show you know, demonstrating the return on investment showing data that suggests you know how the numbers work and finally inspiring and exciting people for the technology and getting them in there in the long term, um, virtual and augmented reality forecasts, how much do you think the, uh, the AR and VR market is going to grow? And I mean, this is like strictly predictions, you know, it doesn't have to be based on too much stuff, but your gut, your gut feeling, like how much do you think the AR and VR market is going to grow in revenue in the next five years? If the studies from 2010 had been correct, we would be in a multi hundreds of billion dollar market 
but we are not. So I'm <laughs> therefore I'm very kind of careful and skeptical when kind of making predictions here. Mm-hmm. So um, looking at the major analysts and in the space, it's typically uh, a group called DigiCapital. They are like the major analysts when it comes to AR, VR. They talk about revenues of uh, 67 billion in 2024, Whoa. which is definitely a huge, a huge number. But of course, it does include uh, hardware and it does include VR. But we shouldn't forget that VR is a lot more mature than AR. Mm-hmm. And while few, five, six years back, there was an opinion that kind of VR is only a temporary technology and uh, a segue into AR. I see that differently. So like mm-hmm. I do see AR has huge benefits. At the same time, VR has huge benefits for different type use cases. So when I kind of uh, want to enter a virtual world or like a virtual environment or a virtual event, event or a virtual training session, then uh, VR is perfect. I don't need to like blend things with my living room, with my, with my office, right? So it's like I want right. to enter a virtual room and therefore VR is a perfect technology and it's mature. Uh, so hardware, uh, you talked about the, the Quest 2, it's a fantastic device, right? Yeah. It's like already second generation. So therefore VR is, from my uh, standpoint, in terms of like customer acceptance and maturity, uh, significantly ahead of AR. Of course, like VR has its limitations. So mm-hmm. this means there's not, not much more you can do uh, from what you already do right now and today. Right. And therefore, probably like uh, uh, AR, you can push AR even further. And that's why I kind of, uh, I do believe in those kind of 60 plus billion market in 2024 with a uh, good chunk of VR hardware and VR revenues uh, part of that. Wow, that's, those are some good data points. Um, and yeah, I'm right there with you. I see, I see a pretty strong trend towards that, um, especially just because, um, yeah, just like there's, a, there's plenty of time, but you're right, the technology is pretty mature now. I mean, you can use, you can use a lot of VR stuff. And I love that example that you said um, that you don't think that VR is like a replacement for AR or like a, it's not a precursor to augmented reality, but, but rather these, these are kind of two separate goals that kind of can be achieved with those two different technologies. I mean, personally, I think like a lot of the use cases that we have for smartphones in the next five to 10 years, like how we're using our smartphones today, I think that kind of stuff is going to get replaced with mostly, uh, mostly AR experiences. Minus like if you go watch like maybe a show or a movie where you want to be immersed in it and you don't need to be in the context of the reality then that would be something that we'd probably see people diving into VR for. The people I have here in this community, you know, I try to future-proof them with technologies that are relevant for kind of giving them the skills that are ready for the future, things that can, they can grow with. And you know, I advertise in sense and talk about lots of different technologies, even competitors. So I want to ask you, CEO of Wikitude, how does Wikitude make AR easy and accessible? Well, uh, talking in technical terms, so perhaps like flying a few years back, so Wikitude has been the third or fourth SDK in the market. So this means even though we have been like the world's first AR and customer application, something we're very excited about. But in terms of like uh, as an SDK, as an enabling platform, we have been like third or fourth in the market. There were others there that had had like already like a huge customer base, huge funding, were like part part of Qualcomm or then became part of Apple. So this means we had to do things a bit different. 
That's why we chose an approach where, uh, from a technical standpoint, we already in 2012 offered a JavaScript API. So we really wanted to kind of go a different route. So Unity is cool, and we are uh, a big fan of Unity. But mm-hmm. Since 2012, we offer what we call a JavaScript API. So it's like very easy for somebody who can uh, design a website. He or she should be able to design an AR experience. And this has always been our approach for like eight, nine years now. Wow. And it was really important for us. Going after a different uh, target group, not only the kind of hardcore gaming or 3D artists, but also kind of somebody who is fine developing a 2D experience, a kind of a less graphical heavy experience, focusing on kind of easy access, uh, low entry barrier. And this has been our starting point. And that's very important for us still. So we are still highly emphasizing on uh, the developer community, um, do uh, have like many, many APIs and plugins into different platforms, many of them being, again, web technology based, invest a lot in, uh, in uh, a well-maintained forum, uh, very supportive there, invest a lot in uh, samples, sample code, uh, open source um, kind of examples, uh, tutorials, uh, videos, stuff like that. So really focusing a lot on kind of making it very easy to get into AR and to build something very exciting without huge investments. So you're saying what makes it accessible is that it's a lot of the architectures based off of HTML, um, a lot of the SDKs that you built, or sorry, HTML5, is that what you said? Yeah, that's just like one option. So we had like the JavaScript API that kind of displays HTML content. That's one option. The other one being, of course, like either like a native API or like the Unity plugin, uh, but again, depending on who you are, what your skill sets are, where you come from, what your preferences are, you can then go from either hardcore native over graphically exciting Unity over easy access uh, web technologies and HTML. So um, really trying to cover a broad spectrum of skill sets and developer preferences. I have a lot of like motion design background. I use tools like Cinema 4D, Unreal Engine, do does things that I make in there, do they translate to Wikitude? Yes and no. So we don't support Unreal at this point. Okay. So we talk a lot to Epic right now. So uh, probably we're going to have like an official Unreal support next year. Probably you could like export stuff into Unity and then display it there. So that's already Got supported. It. So that's easy. Unreal is something we're very excited about. I think it's a very cool alternative to Unity. It's like... Uh, graphically even more exciting than Unity. Wow, that's actually really good notes to hear because I know I've had, a, I've had a few guests that have kind of worked closely with Epic and they've talked a lot about Unreal Engine as this future. But this is kind of, and this is really informative here to hear that you're saying Unity is kind of the main one that's being supported by these tools and hearing that, you know, Wikitude is very much integrated across the globe. I guess for those listening, it might still be worthwhile learning tools like Unity and still becoming you know, fluent in that language. I know we are in the middle of a global pandemic, and I was wondering if you have any thoughts on how augmented reality technologies can help in this COVID era. Well, when you look at kind of past 10 months for us, we took a hit like in Q1 uh, or Q2, like when many companies have been very careful, very skeptical, very stopped initiatives, stopped projects, and we really felt that and got hurt. Now, even though we are still in the midst of that pandemic, so Austria just like starts into lockdown two tomorrow, actually, 
we see a huge demand for AR experiences across the board. We see less of like uh, event applications, obviously, less trade show applications, less retail applications. We see a huge demand in enterprise applications. So whenever it's like uh, work instructions, training on the job, maintenance, remote maintenance, have like a huge boost since the pandemic uh, broke out. Mm -hmm. uh, and also in a more kind of uh, B2C environment, whenever it's around uh, education, students, pupils, there are fantastic use cases leveraging AR. So we have customers like one being called a virtual tee, where you have like your t-shirt on and using augmented reality, you can uh, really uh, experience your organs uh, in a very exciting way. Again, it's personalized. So depending on uh, what grade you're in, um, you see like uh, a different complexity, uh, the way your uh, body and your organs work. So this means you can really have like distance learning in a totally uh, new form um, with a, in a totally new dimension. Yeah. And uh, again, we see like tons of creative use cases across the board where really remote learning, distance learning through AR mm -hmm. um, is very, very fascinating and exciting. That's so cool. Um, a lot of folks, in, I think, that are part of the community that I try to grow here are very interested in education and kind of you know updating educational systems so that's really exciting to hear that people are using a lot of the ar tech to you know do remote learning and distance learning because then it's like you still get to learn but you're just learning safely i always like to kind of end the podcast with a really deep heavy question <laughs> okay go ahead so, uh, <laughs> no, i'm scared of it so um, how do you define reality that's a heavy one yeah <laughs> Well, I think it's probably the opposite of, uh, of AR, right? So from a technical standpoint, 10 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, we defined come to a point where you can really reach the perfect illusion. So where the human eye can no longer distinguish between real content and virtual content. And of course, there are like many investments necessary on a rendering, on the rendering part of things, that things are really realistic on, on the rendering side. Lots of investment necessary on the computer vision side. We talked about occlusion. We talked about really understanding of the real world and really kind of placing content there. And then we have kind of reached the perfect illusion. And in a way, great, because then we have reached our technical goal. But at the same time, it's kind of uh, scary. It's, it's frightening, right? So because the human, I really like reality. I appreciate reality. And therefore, uh, being tricked by an AR device in a way makes me a bit concerned, right? Uh, people around me, I like the real world around me. And uh, if AR can help make my life easier, more exciting on multiple fronts, then I'm very happy. That's a wonderful um, answer. And I'm, I'm actually really happy that you addressed even some of the concerns where as we get closer and closer to making you know, our virtual worlds indistinguishable from our physical worlds, it's um it's it's good to acknowledge like that, that that's a concern as a species we'll have to take some steps to like adjust to that new re that new world that, that we're you know we're building right now i see a lot of the positive side but i don't want to be blind to the negative side of things yes exactly that was kind of kind of my my major concern we're not there yet and is it like uh being an active member of the community we can of course influence that and make things positive but yeah, down the road, that's going to be in concern. Well, thank you so much. Um, you know, how could my audience here connect with you? Uh, and where could they find you if they wanted to reach out? Well, I think the best platform is LinkedIn. So uh, LinkedIn, Martin Hardina. So please uh, search me there. 
uh, reach out to me. I'm always kind of uh, very open to kind of uh, receive new contacts and get new kind of ideas and, and being inspired by how people want to use AR. So looking forward to that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Martin and Regina. It was a pleasure to have you in this interview um, on Rethink Reality. Um, I'm going to go ahead and end the episode. And then, uh, yeah, we'll just um, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Don. Thanks a lot. It's like a very interesting and uh, exciting session for me.